When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. On Commons People this week... Philip Hammond doles out the sunshine. But the cloud of uncertainty is acting as a temporary damper. Does Theresa May actually believe in Brexit? Well, I, I, I don't answer hypothetical questions. Universal Credit's helpline is universally derided. Will the Prime Minister today show some humanity, intervene and make at least the helpline free? All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast. This week's episode of Commons People is brought to you by Tide, the nimble small business banking service. More of that later. I'm Owen Bennett and joining me this week we have Ned Simons. Hello Ned. Hi. We have Mr Paul War. Hello Owen. And we have Kate Forrester. Hello. Annoyingly. Anyway, um, let's, uh, let's crack on shall we with the press comments that's just finished uh, as we record this podcast between David Davis and Michelle Barnier, and it seems that Brexit talks are in a state of deadlock, according to Michelle Barnier, over how much money Britain will pay as it exits the bloc. The EU's chief negotiator told a press conference in Brussels the impasse was disturbing. Following the fifth round of talks, he said Brussels was not yet prepared to move on to the second stage of talks, which would be about trade. Uh, and he believes that decisive progress is within our grasps within the next two months. This comes just days after Theresa May said her Florence speech had helped to inject a new momentum into the talks. I mean, I'm no expert on talks and negotiations, but it seems like we're getting nowhere. Nothing has changed. Nothing. I mean, yeah, no, that'd be better. If you said that on Monday in the comments, mm-hmm. nothing has changed. I mean, talk about overhyping it on Monday when she gave her address to the... To them, it's just a bit worrying, really, isn't it? I mean, I read it and I think, okay, when is this going to actually move on? Does it, does anyone know? Does anybody have any idea? I, I thought there was a good, in that press conference, one of the journalists said to um, Barney and David Davis, you know, you two are supposed to be these excellent negotiators, but, you know, it seems that you're both rubbish. But that's <laughs> not really fair because Barney seems to be getting everything he wants, which is just not moving. And David Davis is thinking, oh, damn, like nothing's, you know, nothing's changed. <laughs> but also, going and back to the point that I made a couple of weeks ago, which was uh, just to reference myself there, because the height of vanity, that actually when it comes down to it, it's all about the money, right? Because he's basically said Northern Ireland is citizens' rights, mm. we've kind of got agreement on, but it's it's about the money. So that's what yeah. they're holding out for. And watching the press conference, it's kind of, it's so bizarre now. You have, like, it's like they're two different worlds, the two, the two men. And you had David Davis saying, you know, we need to move on to talks and significant proce- progress has been made. And Barney is just there saying, no. No, but the thing is, is I don't think either of them are fooling anyone. I mean, the fundamentals are are always the same, which is, you know, we've got massive leverage because we've got money that they want. There's no question. Without our money, the EU budget for 2020 goes up the spout, and they really need us, and they'll need our money going forward as well. And and they've got time on their side, Mm. so they've got this clock that's ticking down. So, you know, in a normal negotiation both sides would sort of acknowledge that. And I understand that privately, 
privately. You know, Barnier in some of these talks actually does show some progress. But then towards the end of the meeting, he realises that he, he, perhaps there's some sort of Brussels spy watching him and he, he harumphs a bit and says, right, right, well, like, this is, really isn't enough progress right at the end of the meeting. And and that obviously he does that publicly a lot. But there are there was earlier this week some movement suggesting that Barnier said, come on, we've got to get move on with this. But the key thing is that the French and the Germans, particularly the Germans, are, are playing hardball and saying, look, we need the... Brexit bill, divorce bill sorted first. We need Britain's cash before we can then go on. And Britain are quite rightly saying, well, all right, you need our cash, but, you know, we need the trade. So I think until that's resolved, and it sounds like it might be December now where we might see some real movement on that, then it's all sort of whistling in the wind, really. But it was all about getting the framework, wasn't it? It was never about reaching, well, I was under the impression, certainly, that going into these these first rounds of negotiations, it was never about sitting down and writing down a figure on a bit of paper and saying, this is it. It was all about the framework. It was all about, okay, we will pay for this if we can still have access to it after the trade deal, and if we don't, then we won't pay for it. It was all that kind of stuff. So really, and you know, Theresa May, to, to, to sort of be fair to her, she has been quite clear, you know, we'll honour our commitments in the budget going forward, we'll honour our commitments in certain projects. I mean, what, what more do the well, EU want? I I have I just been, have I got my old Daily Express head on again? You have a bit. I mean, I think, actually, uh, the, the crunch point will come in December, won't it? I mean, to sort of mix metaphors, people are always going about um, the, the wars in Britain. Well, there's two world war comparisons here. First is the phony a war. Farage, isn't it? <laughs> First is the phony war, the Second yeah. World War. We spent eight months actually thinking we are at war with Germany and nothing happened until May 1940 when things really happened. Well, and, it's a bit, when it and it's a bit like that here. You know, there's a phony war going on until you get to Christmas. And once you get to December, then it gets real. And that reminds me of the First World War, again, where everyone, again, <laughs> people said Christmas. it'd be over by yeah. Christmas. But it certainly wasn't. So what we're going to see, I suspect, come January is either the EU and the UK will have given a little bit on both those positions, um, or the Brexit Brexiteers' heaven would have arrived, which is, look, these guys, we always told you they're intransigent. They really are intransigent. Let's just pull out, call their bluff, and pull out and, and go back onto the WTO. Now, that, the danger of that, it would split the cabinet, it would split the Tory party, it would certainly <laughs> cause a fuss in Parliament. But, you know, would it make the, the Brussels uh, bureaucrats sit up and listen? I don't know. Because Owen Patterson has said that, hasn't he? He said that yeah. we should be, and he's kind of quite a good kind of test of how that group of MPs are thinking. And he's saying, you know, give it to Christmas, then in January, start pushing yeah. really hard. WTA. The problem with that strategy is that it's dangerous because there are some in Brussels who actually love that strategy. So, yeah, uh, we agree with you. There's no such thing as a, as a soft Brexit. There's either you get out on a hard Brexit or there's no Brexit. There's no in between. And that's why, actually, all the people in between, whether it, and that stretches right from Philip Hammond to Theresa May to Chukka Ramuna to everyone, who all think that somehow a soft Brexit is possible. Maybe the Brexiteers and the and the Eurofederalists are, are the ones that have got it right. There's, there is no middle ground. So let's see. Well, uh, let's move on because another week, another cabinet member not quite towing the line on Brexit, but this time it was Philip Hammond appearing before the Treasury Select Committee on Wednesday. The Chancellor was at its most pessimistic or honest, the delete as per your viewpoint, saying Brexit had created a cloud of uncertainty over the economy. And planes could even be grounded if we leave the EU without a deal. He also appeared reticent to start spending cash preparing for a no-deal outcome. Here's a clip. What I am not um, proposing to do is to allocate funds to departments in advance of the need to spend. So we should look in each area at the last point at which um, spending can begin to ensure that we are ready for a day one no-deal scenario. However, at 
PMQ's mere hours later, Theresa May warmed the cockles of Brexiteers' hearts by saying money would be available. We are preparing for every eventuality. Uh, We are committing uh, money to prepare for Brexit, including a no-deal scenario. So uh, another split of the top of government here. I mean, when you you listen, they're they're kind of saying the same thing. They're both saying that money will be available at the point that it's needed and we're going to prepare for no-deal, but not until we know there's not no-deal, this kind of stuff. But... There does seem to be a massively different emphasis, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, and I think one thing they're getting away with by pretending they're unified is by all saying we'll spend it when we need it. But what the definition of when we need it is is very different. Absolutely, that's so the key thing. The, isn't the it? Hardcore Brexiteers are saying we need to do it now to prove to the EU that we're serious about a no deal. Whereas Hamlet was saying, no, 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 we wait until the last minute when we need to spend it in case that looks like the way it's going. They already think we're serious about it. So that's how they're getting away um, in kind of arguing that they agree when they don't. I'm still confused how Boris gets lots of perhaps rightly so, lots of sort of grief for, go, for going away from the, the cabinet line. Going rogue. Exactly. But then when Phil Hammond does it, he's all right. He, no, you know. he's not all right. Well, he's not all right amongst <laughs> some, right? A lot but of he doesn't the seem to get the same. stuck it to him today. Look at the Daily Mail. Um, well, the Daily Mail called him to go, didn't they? Yeah. To be sacked. I but think, sorry, sorry go, on, go on, Paul. I was gonna, just going to say, I think he's become something of a lightning rod for both sides. Like the hard Brexiteers are furious with him. And everybody else in the Tory party who thinks that they need to kind of come up with some big, bold ideas just sees him as kind of not that. So I feel like he's sort of stuck in the middle. It's difficult. I mean, I think one thing that is curious is that why why did he decide to do this big thing this week? And, and not just in the Times article, but in that select committee. Why did, why did he say, look, every pound you spend preparing for a no deal is a pound you don't spend on the NHS, you don't spend on social care? clear message from him that actually this is all a total waste of time it's it's all there's no point me wasting hard paid, hard earned taxpayers money as he put it on basically symbolism and trying to scare the eu into thinking that we're really going to walk away and i thought that that language was really interesting and i thought he i don't know how deliberate it was but i think that would have been the headline you would have seen from that committee session about if we spend money on preparing for no brexit that's less money for health and education be messed it up by talking about how if there's no deal planes might not fly yeah, now why say that because he said himself afterwards I don't I don't think that'll happen yeah. but it could happen which means he kind of he stepped on his own headline in a he way he was on Philbot mm. mode like Maybot I mean he, he is a robot at times so he'll talk about things being theoretically possible and not see the headline that'll yeah. come out of that which is nuts because within a second he then said of course it's not very likely so I think you know you've got a sort of you know desiccated calculating machine that is the chancellor that is is in chancellor mode but also under underneath it he's he is going rogue there's no question and it sounds like the cabinet meeting on tuesday was the reason he did it there was basically michael gove arrives at the cabinet meeting right at the very beginning of the cabinet meeting and and kicks up a fuss by basically saying to may well oh shouldn't we have an every week we have a weekly update on how much we're all spending in our departments on preparing for no deal don't you think that'd be a good <laughs> idea prime minister and of course then Chris Grayling piles in behind him and says, oh, what a brilliant idea. And then Hammond smells a rat and thinks, hold on a tick, what's going on? May didn't really respond by all accounts. Um, but Hammond can see there's an operation going on by the Brexiteers here. And now most people think it might be a bit mad every week at the Cabinet to have an update on how much they're all spending on the no deal. But Gove obviously knew that it would leak out that kind of word. And, and you know, that's maybe why Philip Hammond was was going rogue slightly on Wednesday in retaliation to that. And he, you know, he took the bait. Taking back control of his money, isn't he? Yeah, I was just going to say, for a safe pair of hands, he is a little bit gaff-prone, isn't he? 
But is it gas? I don't know if it's gas. Is he doing it deliberately? Is he constantly trying to kick smoke up? I think he is, and he's quite calm. He's quite... Rice is kind of a robot in a way. But he's not a nervous robot. He's very relaxed. You watch him when he says these things. You know it's not accidental most of the time. And I think the plane thing was a bit weird. He's, he's very relaxed in the way he, he does stuff. And it seems deliberate rather than... I oops. think that he's... I don't know. I mean, the, the reason the Brexiteers hate him because he, he seems like a lot of chancellors, like George Osborne, and like the Treasury institutionally, really arrogant. That's what they don't like. I know best... You guys, you. It's exactly true. That's what they think. They think that here's someone who's saying, you know, like all Remainers, that's their big argument with Remainers. The Remainers patronized everyone, saying, you know, the world will fall apart, you know, project fear, all that stuff. And they say, look, the world has not fallen apart yet. We might point out Brexit hasn't happened yet. But they, <laughs> but, but they, keep, they keep saying that, you know, that's why they dislike Philip Hammond. And it's true, he's really, one amongst everyone in the cabinet, he's one of the most intellectually self-confident people in the, around that table. There's not many people who are on the same I'm, sort of I'm level. I'm just thinking of humble Liam Fox and humble Michael Gove. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, well, well, Philip Hammond was not the only cabinet member this week to perhaps not turn the line on Brexit. This is the Theresa May on LBC, shall we? If there was a Brexit vote now, would you vote Brexit? Because you, you voted r- remain in the referendum. Have you changed your mind? Well, I've I, I don't answer hypothetical questions, but what I what it's I have... It's a pretty easy answer. I, I would I, be able to answer that. I, I know I would vote in exactly the same way. Well, I voted Remain. Um, I voted Remain for good reasons at the, at the time. But circumstances move on. I mean, I think the important thing now is that I think we should all be focused on delivering Brexit Absolutely. and delivering the, the best but deal. All she had to say was, yeah, I voted Remain at the time... But having looked at the fantastic work we're doing in government, I'm confident that we will deliver a Brexit that's brilliant for the UK, so I would vote leave again tomorrow. Although, Damien... That's all, that's all she had so, to say, That right? would have been a lie, yeah. though, clearly, wouldn't no, it? But, mm. but she can't even back her own policy. This is madness. Kate, sure. I, d- I don't know. I'm sort of torn on this. I mean, I think you're right. Thank you. End off. Move on. Right, uh, next but, go on. But Damien Green said the next day, oh, you know, no, I'd still vote Remain. And, you know... And he got a bit of a kicking for it. I know, but... But, but the fact that's is, bit, that's I, what they I think, isn't it? Not, so yeah. it's, not a, it's not a vote and confidence in your own ability. Do you think you should be camping but, manager? But, I mean, well, I don't know, really. But, <laughs> but the, ar- the argument is, isn't it? You know, we didn't want this, but we respect the people, yeah. so we're going to do the, we're going to do it. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, yeah, but, I, but even I, as we do it, we know it's going to be a fucking. I don't know. I, to I'm, be fair to her, I think actually it's one of those questions that is a nightmare question, and you know, I, I don't think we can read too much into her answers. We really can't. She's not very good at answering those questions. She wanted to duck it. A lot of ministers have since ducked it and said, look, it's a totally academic question. There will be no second referendum. So there's no point me even engaging with this question. And I can see it. To be honest, it is a bit of a bubble beltway question. I mean, how many people really out there care? What what they want to know is, is Theresa May going to deliver Brexit? And as long as she says that and keeps saying it, then they'll be happy. But that brings us back to everything we've just been talking about. The reason there's this unease about Philip Hammond is for exact same reason there's an ease about Theresa May. A lot of the a large chunk of the Tory party, particularly MPs, worry that they've got two remainers in the two most important jobs in government. They've got a Brexiteer in Brexit department, but in Treasury and in number ten, they've got two remainers. And none of them really trust them. And I think that actually until that tension what well, and that personnel changes then that tension won't change either. Until what the Brexiteers would really love is Philip Hammond to be replaced by somebody who did vote to leave in the referendum. Whoever that person is, I don't know. Now, before we move on, I just want to ask you guys a quick question. 
based on our special friends today, Tide. Now, Tide is a fantastic mobile and web-based banking service set up to help small businesses take care of their accounts. And I know lots of small businesses listen to Commons People because we give the best analysis of what's going on with Brexit and stuff, don't we, Kate? Of course. Thank you very much. Now, as all small business owners know, time is money. And anything you can do to free up a little bit of time and help simplify your systems is a massive bonus. And this, this type is packed with handy tools such as automated bookkeeping, uh, automated bookkeeping team access, expense management, and invoice assistance. So head to www.tide.co forward slash people. No .co.uk, none of that nonsense. No time for that. It's www.tide.co forward slash people for more information about how Tide can help you in your business. And it only takes a couple of minutes. You can do it while you're boarding your kettle for your hard-earned coffee while you're doing your small businessy kind of stuff. And even better, Commerce People listeners, we have got you a special introductory offer. If you use the promo code PEOPLE, your account will be 100% free for the first six months. That's absolutely free for six months with six months free transfers. After six months, your account will become a pay-as-you-go account, but there'll be no monthly fees to pay ever. And it sounds so good, I'm sure you'll just keep using it. So that is www.tide.co forward slash people. Use the promo code PEOPLE. Keep saying people all the time, and this will help you with your small business people. There you go, free stuff. You don't free, often get free, free stuff. stuff free in stuff. Life, what, do you? I mean, what, what, this is a free podcast. I'm giving you six months free to a good product. Wait, I is don't this know, free? I don't know what more you want from me. The podcast are you, is free. People, are you going to do fast talking, small print voice? Now? Yeah, your home's maybe at risk. If you don't, no, that's not true. Your home is not at risk. <laughs> Just go and use this; it'll be fine. All right. So that's www.tide.co.uk forward slash people, use and the promo code people, and now back to Commons people. Oh, beautifully done. And it's T-I-D-E, isn't it? It is T-I-D-E, Paul. That's your, you're right to check the spelling. It's just it's your uh, accent sometimes throws me. That's all. What, what my mock me is... <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that someone else's accent is getting mocked. Oh, here oh. we go. The Northerns, Northerns are restless. Right, let's move on. Uh, back to Commons people. Now, Jeremy Corbyn put in a solid performance at PMQs this week, pressing Theresa May over the rollout of Universal Credit. His most perceptive line of attack was on the cost of calling the helpline. Here's a clip. But absurdly, Mr Speaker, the Universal Credit Helpline costs claimants 55 pence per minute for the privilege of trying to get someone to help them claim what they believe they're entitled to. Will the Prime Minister today show some humanity, intervene and make at least the helpline free? Poor old Chief Secretary to the Treasury, Liz Truss, found herself trying to defend the cost of the calls on the BBC shortly after PMQs, and it wasn't that successful. Let's have a listen. You call on a mobile phone, you're charging 55 pence a minute. Well, I would encourage people to visit the job centre, go in and get the advice. Right, but these are people who have got kids to look Mm -hmm. after, they Mm -hmm. can't afford uh, um, sort of nannies or help to look after them. Phoning may be the only way. They've got people visiting to plumbers, whatever. It's just the normal things of life. Mm. Now, joining us now in the studio, we have Mr. George Bowden. How are you, George? I'm very well, thank you. Are you sure? Yes. Good. Now, you uh, did a little bit of investigating, didn't you, on this? Yeah, well, essentially, I picked up the phone and, and called this helpline. Um, uh, I was expecting, actually, to be put straight through because, you know, the government would be aware this was an issue. Loads of call handlers would be available and, you know, they, they, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we did several calls, um, the longest of which lasted a total of 13 and a half minutes. Um, and that was the point where the, the advisor right at the other end just said, you know, we can't go any further, basically. Um, and obviously, I'm not a universal uh, credit claimant. But um, it did prove that it was about 12 and a half minutes on hold in total. 
which would have cost um, in total about £7.50 if you were on some of the mobile networks. And given that your universal credit payment for some people is about 60 quid, that's quite yeah. a chunk. It's of about your... 10%, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and what's, one of the things the government is saying is, well, no, don't worry, because if you can ask to be called back... Is one of the great the great defence. That's right? the defence. So you can ask to be, which I did. So as soon as a human being answered the phone, I said, "Could you just call me straight back, uh, straight away?" Um, and they declined. They said, "No, we can't, I can't do that. I don't know who you are." I said, "Well, I said, well, <laughs> you know, it, all, while I'm talking to you, I'm racking up costs here. Could you just call me back and I'll tell you who I am?" Um, no, no, we can't do that. That would be against data protection rules. I need to know who I'm talking to. So I mean, we're laughing about it here, but this is like yeah, I'm not sure how is that data protection. That's or am I just being thick? Anyway, carry on. Well, no, no. But there's no explanation. Yeah. Um, and when I've obviously gone to the DWP and said, this is what the uh, call handler said, and, and yeah, there's no real response. Other than most people manage universal credit online, and that's their claim. However, this morning I've spoke to Donna. She's from Walsall. She's been on universal credit uh, since last September, September 2016. Um, and she says that even just setting up her account on universal credit has to be done through this phone line. In the past month, she's called the phone line twice to arrange appointments um, and she's shown me a letter that she got sent about appointments saying that the only way she could arrange a different time for an appointment was to call this number. Mm-hmm. So we're doing that story today. And obviously that that just shows that actually uh, this phone line is much more important than I think the government are uh, at the moment suggesting. Absolutely. I mean, you heard the clip from there from Religious Trust when she talks about, well, just go to the job centre. And as makes the point, well, everyone can afford to go to the job centre. And the whole point of having... You won't be a job centre in your town anymore because they've been yeah. closed down. And if the helpline is there to help people, yeah. I mean, so what? You've gone to the government with this. Have they said? Uh, are they given you any indication that they're gonna they're gonna make this a free phone number? They're gonna change it? No, they stood firm yesterday. They took a, took a while to answer. We gave them a bit of time, and and they they stood stood behind it. And I think that's the, the what the message I'm getting back from senior people within government is that actually they are not in the mood to change policy. I mean, in Wales, where Labour runs the Welsh Assembly, this helpline is free. Um, uh, I put it to someone senior in government, I said, come on, surely it's a quick political PR win for you to just suddenly say, look, we're listening, we're going to make this a free phone helpline. And they said, well, you know, the problem is they felt that actually the... The, the number of people that were really in this category who were really in dire straits who couldn't afford to to ring the helpline, they thought that was really small and they said it was getting smaller because they said there's a big lag in universal credit between all those people who've not been getting advanced payments and now a lot of, a lot of people, more than half people getting advanced payments. So they're, they're not without money. So they're trying to stick to their guns. Let's see whether or not they do. Um, the what, what, what George says is interesting about, you know, having to access the website, um, you've got to go through the phone line first before they talk you through the website. Now, that's not what tallies with what I was told, which was they're trying to shift everybody onto using the website and not using the phone. They, they said one of the reasons that it's not free is because everybody will then use a free phone helpline rather than going online. Um, and obviously that's expensive for a variety of reasons. But Again, it brings us back to austerity. The reason there aren't enough people answering those phone calls is because there's not enough staff answering them because they've all been cut. And, you know, you can't try and have a a Rolls-Royce welfare claimant service, which is really super efficient for everyone, if you don't have the staff to to staff it. It just seems seems such an obvious... So I mean, Jeremy Corbyn was right. Sort of shows humanity because when you've got no money and you're literally counting the pennies and you're on the phone on hold, and then after five minutes you might then give up, right? Then you call again and you're going through another five minutes. So actually, because you don't want to, oh maybe I'll try my luck this time. And then you know, 
Oh, I, I think that, that's really the odd. problem. But don't forget, on this policy, this is implementation of this policy. Labour, in theory, still supports universal credit because it's a simplifying measure. There's lots of reasons why. But the more that it rolls out across the country, the more you get hardship stories like this, um, the more, as we saw on the TV last night, you know, a woman who'd been on it for a long time and was reduced to living on her sofa, um, the more h- hardship cases you hear... Uh, then the more difficult thing it will be for the government to sort of defend even the principle. And what will Labour do then? Will Labour at some point say, actually, we've had enough. We, we're going to pull the plug from our support, cross-party support for universal credit. That's where it's going to get interesting. It's not the only uh, service to use, government service to use, a 0345 number. Um, tax credits, if you've got queries about that. And if you're receiving a pension, um, you would need to call 0345. But not so if you're a tax avoider. Um, it's an 0300 number, which is much cheaper on mobile wow. for those. Yeah. Seriously? Yes, yes. So if you call the HMRC and say, I'm a tax avoider, I want to come clean, I want to you know, set my affairs straight, it's an 0300 number, which is much cheaper. What's the rest of that number? Just Good bit of work there, George. And uh, you said you've got this, this lady you spoke to, the story's going up about that today, Thursday. So you'll be able to read more at huffingtonpost.co.uk. Lovely stuff. Thanks for that, George. It's time for this week's quiz. Whoa. And here's uh, it's Mr. John Burko to give us a little, little clue of what it's about. We have, we have a cat called Order. <laughs> My son has a tortoise. John Burko there, revealing that he has a cat called Order. Which, I feel like I'm going to be good at this. Which led me to think uh, what other politicians' pets are called, Ned. Oh. <laughs> Great. What? Who's got? Who's got one? Politicians. I'm gonna. I'm gonna read out a name of a dog or a a cat, and you've got to tell me who owns it. Sorry, I'm not very enthusiastic about this. I I am. What are the options, though? You'll get. You'll get two options. So Kenzie, a Portuguese water dog. No, Kate, can you calm down? You're really excited. Does that belong to Donald Trump or Justin Trudeau? It's Justin. Yeah, Trudeau. I true that. How true do you know this true? How do true you, how are you so sure? I bet I'm going to be good at this. Yeah, it was right. Are you? This is weird. Okay, yeah, <laughs> it was Justin Trudeau. Buffy, a Bulgarian shepherd dog. Does that belong to Macron or Putin? Ooh. Mm-hmm. What do you say? Ma- 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 shepherd Macron. dog. Yeah, a Bulgarian shepherd dog. Oh, Macron Buffy. has Macron, got a new dog, yeah. which everyone raved about. Yeah. Mm. Putin, you'd imagine, would have a pack of wolves. Wait, what was the, what what? Was the dog called again? Uh, Buffy. Because he got given a dog yeah, like, the other day. So is it that, that. one? Is it, is it the new one he's Who? got given? Putin got given a dog by the president of Turkmenistan or something. I'm going to go for Macron. I'm changing my mind. I'm saying Putin. Uh, yeah, I agree with Ned. It is Putin. Putin. It was given to him uh, in 2013. Right. I think he was given a dog by, I think, the Japanese Prime Minister or something. Um, a poodle called Rufus. Was that Hitler or Churchill? Churchill. I went right back. Hitler or Churchill? Or Roy Jenkins? It can't be Hitler. <laughs> Churchill. Surely you wouldn't know about Hitler wouldn't have a poodle, would he? I know, <laughs> like, what, I know what Hitler's dog was called, what was by the way. What was his dog called? Blondie. Really? really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it was a German shepherd. Anyway, it was Churchill. I feel like we're lacking a little bit. A, a Scottish terrier called Barney. Was that Nelson Mandela or George W. Bush? Bush. Bush. Definitely Bush. Yeah, Definitely Bush. Why are you Bush. so sure about Because he had a so dog called Bush. Barney. How do you know all this? Because I know so things Bush. about dogs right, <laughs> and finally socks the cat oh clinton. that's so classic you know oh everyone God, knows it's clinton you, you don't know enough about political you're just pets. not old enough are you we're the same age <laughs> oh yeah that's true 
Yeah, I'm a bit younger than you, actually. You are. I don't know why I say. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't Lyndon B. Johnson. The other <laughs> option. Oh yeah, that would have been socks. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Red socks. Yeah. You know, because he was okay. Well, there was this week's terrible quiz. Sorry about that. <laughs> I that enjoyed was, it. No, that was really bad. That was really bad. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone, and huge thanks to Tide.co for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget to check out the fantastic offer they're giving to you, our listeners, at www.tide.co forward slash people. Make sure you put in the promo code people for six months free use. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.